Welcome, everybody. Congress signed the FASA Simplification and Consolidation Appropriated Act of uh, 2021, which created significant changes in the free application for federal student aid, better known as the FASA. The changes are in effect to simplify the FASA form and to reduce the number of questions that needs to be answered. Uh, the FASA simplification will reduce the number of questions on the application to approximately 38 to 40 questions, give or take a few here or there, uh, that uh, replaces the uh, 108 questions that was on the old FASA. Now, today we have two guests, uh, Al Hoffman, as well, as well as Gary Carpenter, and I'm going to be asking them uh, some uh, questions. Uh, they're the expert whenever it comes to the FASA form, so we'll just get started here. Uh, Al, I'm going to go ahead and start out with you. Uh, usually the FASA can be completed on October 1 each, uh, the, each year. Has this time frame changed for the school year of 2024 and 25? And if so, why? So uh, to get started with this, uh, and, and feel free, both of you, to, to, uh, to uh, interject uh, any kind of comment you want. But as I start out here, I will have to tell you that uh, it's going to be a really interesting year for the colleges. Uh, I'm not a big government fan, but I'll tell you what, I was happy as a lark when they made the October 1 filing. It used to be January 1, then it was October 1 from about, gosh, about 2010 on. Um, and... I like it, but this year, because of that monumental task of changing the format of the old digital FASA uh, to the new digital FASA, the simplification, uh, is, uh, was a heavy lift. Uh, uh, Coleman Cheney is a friend of Gary's, and Coleman was saying, this is a heavy lift. I don't think they're going to make it, <laughs> and they didn't. They put it off until December 31st. Uh, because they just weren't ready to actively in, uh, allow people to input their data on October 1st. Uh, however, they do reassure us that next year, when we do it for the 25-26 school year, uh, that it will go back to October 1st. And I think they will make it because they have come a long ways. It does appear that uh, it will go down on uh, December 31st. And uh, the complications of that is the schools. Uh, the Department of Education also said, right underneath that December 31st uh, sentence in the letters to professionals out there, they also said that uh, the schools may not get the data for four to six weeks. So they got the first part done where you could input data. However, the output of the data to the colleges, who are the ones that really need it, is not uh, probably not going to be there until... I don't know, February 1st, let's say. Uh, so this is going to cause us a bottleneck this year, a big time bottleneck. And, uh, uh, you know, parents, when you see deadline dates go by and nothing's happening and uh, yes, I would be concerned, but I surely wouldn't be scared because the colleges are also fully aware that <laughs> this is not going to, this is going to be an interesting year. Uh, so I don't, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, it'll play itself out. I do believe it will slow down the awards uh, letters and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yes, I'd just like to jump in here for a second. 
we're talking about the confusion and what's changed and the turmoil and everything. And we're talking about it from the standpoint of the advisors and the Department of Education. Think about the families and what they're going through right now. Mm. You know, they've been pro they've been told year after year, you know, it's going to open on October 1st. You've got to have all your stuff together. It's first come, first serve. Get your FAFSA form in there as quickly as possible. Yep. And now all of a sudden, you got families saying, well, I'm ready to go. What do I do? <laughs> and then you, they don't they don't know what's happening out there as far as it being the opening date changing from October 1st to December 31st. And we have a little knowledge, which is dangerous in our business, but we do have a little knowledge. And families have no idea what the hell is going on. Yep. And there, I don't know how many emails I've received saying, Shouldn't we be filing this form now? It's yeah. it's December. What, what are we going to do? I don't want to miss out on anything. And I've gone to the point even where I've you know put an email together trying to explain to families what's happening, what we expect, and to keep tuned because things are going to new information is going to come about. Uh, and now, if you complicate that with well, next year we'll be back to the same old system. We're going to be a new group of people next year. It's we got two years of confusion ahead of us, is what we've got right now. Yes, I agree totally. And even even to be a little bit sarcastic, as occasionally I am, uh, uh, Chuck opened up by telling us that they simplified the FAFSA down to about forty questions. Yeah, but one question might have thirteen sub questions to that one section. I counted up those blanks the other day, just did a in a moment of curiosity, and uh, they're well over 213 questions. So they made it bigger, <laughs> and yet they <laughs> made it smaller. <laughs> so the, it's kind of a, but I do have to agree and admit that the format is simple. It is instructive. It's easy to use. It's got pop-up boxes everywhere on all the questions. So it's pretty good. But Gary, I could agree more. There are so many parents yet still that don't know uh, what what they're supposed to be doing, and that have to that has to imply that some of the high school guidance counselors are not up on this at, at, at either. But I gotta believe they are. So either people are not listening, or people are not telling. But anyway, I agree with you, Gary. There's a lot of confusion this year. It could be tough. Um, let's let's jump into uh, Chuck. Uh, yeah, there's you a, had some changes there that are. Yeah, there's are some other things that uh, I want you to try to explain here, Al, and. Uh, uh, I've got a few more questions for Gary here, but uh, normally when changes are made, people really start getting confused big time, like what we've been going over here. Um, some name changes uh, have also been made. Uh, in the new bill, it replaces the name EFC, which is expected family contributions that we've used for many, 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 many years. And they've replaced it with what they call the SAI, which stands for Student Aid Index. Why in the world did they come back in and change the EFC to a SAI? Well, I've been doing this for 23 years, Chuck. I'll tell you, to me, it's easy. Uh, if you just say the words, expected family contribution. Well, it could be interpreted in any number of ways. It could be the family. If I got two in college, then the family is one, two in college. Uh, so I just, that family contribution would be for both kids, right? Wrong. 
So uh, it, 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 you would sit there and think, I've heard families say, well, this is how much I'm going to have to pay for four years, right? No, one year. Wrong again. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this is, this is all that I'll have to pay because the colleges will do the rest or the government will do the rest, right? Wrong again. <laughs> Three strikes, you're out, that's it. I tell you, it's the most, uh, uh, that, that communication, EFC, expected family contribution, has confused more people. So student aid index, well, that doesn't really say anything. Uh, it tells you a point that's a calculation that the colleges use in the business model of the colleges to help for money out of their pockets, money out of the federal pockets, and for most states, money out of the state's pockets. And so those are your three uh, sources. Of course, there's private, there's four sources, but those are your three sources, uh, Fed, state, and the college. Uh, and a uh, little subscript there, private. But the point is, SAI doesn't really imply anything. It's, uh, it, it does open up for discussion, but then that's good. Discussion is good. People start to learn what it really means instead of expect a family contribution and expect it to mean exactly what it said. So I kind of like the change, Chuck. Uh, I think it's great. Gary, what do you think? Yeah, and I got to take the other side of the table here. Okay. <laughs> you know, expected family contribution. At least it said, here's a number that you're going to have to contribute. An average person could say, yeah, okay, that's a number. Whether it's one year, four years, whatever it is, it was a number that they could tie down to. <clears throat> I can't wait to get on a Zoom call with a client and say, well, let's see how much you're going to have to pay per the government here. Go to the SAI. What's the <laughs> SAI? It's a student aid index. Well, what's that? Well, that's the new... <laughs> acronym they have for what you they expect you to pay for one year they're going to be so confused it's going to be crazy i mean who thought up this idiotic <laughs> sai i mean i'm going to come down hard on this why couldn't you say something to the effect what you're expected to pay this year okay and just leave it at, maybe it's not a great acronym but at least it <laughs> describes what the number is Okay. You know, we're talking about confusion here. This is just complicating it more and more. But I do have to go back and say, Al, I think you're right about how the form looks this year. It looks a lot better than it has done, done in the past. We just have to be careful of where the minefields are. Yep. Agreed on that uh, anyway, for sure. I'm going to side with Gary on this, Al. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, well, I just... can always do it one in one sentence, you know, uh, what you'll pay for one child for one year right that's all i have to say student index which you will pay for one child for one year minimum uh and uh, then i of course uh, you're right gary chuck we'll have to do some further explanation past that but uh the, i think it's a, i think it's a good change uh i'm uh i'm also going to say this is one of my standard jokes that uh when whenever the government changes something it gives me a lot of job security so yeah gary chuck you're right more explanation, but then I kind of like that, uh, in a way, uh, to uh, to help the people with their interpretation of the government's rules and regs. Yeah, Chuck, anyway. I, got, I got to hear what you got to say, Chuck. This is this. Well, I'm going to tell you what we're we're running on a time frame here, so I'm I'm not going to give you. Uh, uh, no, talk. no, the heck with the time frame. <laughs> tell me what you're going to say. I'm really interested in this. We got Al, we got me. You're the, you're the tiebreaker here. Let's go. Well, the, 
the way I look at it, the, it doesn't you know, matter. I would. <laughs> the, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. My, my opinion on this FAFSA, it's the only financial document that an individual fills out. And you really don't know how they're calculating this so-called SAI. Uh, compare that to completing your federal income taxes, for example. Uh, you know exactly what numbers went in. <clears throat> if you have any questions or whatever, you can ask your accountant or your CPA. They explain to you exactly how much tax you're going to owe based off of your total income. Under the FAFSA form, the SAI, they're telling you basically, this is what you're going to be expected to pay. Is that written in stone? No, it isn't. You could pay more or you could pay less, but you don't know how it's calculated. And that brings us back into some of the major changes that I want to go over here. And I'm going to direct this to the CPA here. Gary, one of the big changes on calculating the EFC or the SAI uh, is dealing with multiple children in the college. Now, what impact will this have on most middle and high income families? I love this question. This is just who thought of this one, okay? <laughs> Now, in years past, you would come out with this expected family contribution slash SAI, which is a number that you were expected to an estimate of what you would pay. And that would be for one child. But what happens if you had two children in school? Well, what they did is they said, take that same number and divide it by the number you have in school. And roughly that's what the expected family contribution slash SAI is going to be for each child going forward. Well, in the wisdom of making this more efficient and everything, what they did this year is they said, okay, you got your SAI, formula, formerly the EFC, and this is the number it's going to be, period. Whether you have one child in school or you have multiple children in school, they're all gonna get the same number. So let's do an example here. We got last year, an expected family contribution of $50,000, one child in school. So that one child in school estimate, you have to come up with $50,000. But let's say you had two children in school. We're well, gonna take that 50,000 and roughly divide it by two and you're gonna have 25,000 for one, 25,000 for the other, still a total of 50. Now, as an accountant, I can, I can relate to that, okay? <laughs> now, this year, what they've done is they've taken the SAI, that same $50,000, one child in school, yep, you're expected to contribute 50,000 in this example. Now you go to the next family, they have two children in school, and let's say their expected family contributions, again, $50,000. Well, it's not divided in half. It's $50,000 for the first child. It's $50,000 for the second child. Why? When you say um, it like that, Gary, come on now. When you say it like that, that sounds really, really, really bad. But the SAI calculation is less for one child than it is for two. doesn't get oh, down to the $25,000. Okay. Okay. But, okay. but it is less. 
Show me the de- show me the formula that goes through <laughs> it in detail so I can justify yeah, it's less than what it was last year. No, I'm no. sorry. I'm a numbers guy. I want to see the numbers and I'm not seeing the numbers and the families, God help them. They're not going to see the numbers ever. Yeah, so, I hear anyway, you. No, I get... that's one of the things that has impacted yeah. the FAFSA form in a major way this year. The big uh, changes. I got to yeah. tell you, check. Go ahead. Go ahead. There, there are other other types of uh, changes on the FAFSA also that goes into the formula. Uh, and it deals with untaxed income and uh, yeah. relating it back to your federal income taxes. You're taxed on income that is exposed to income taxes. If you had untaxed income relating to your, your tax return, the IRS could care less. They're, they're not going to count it. But on the FAFSA, it's completely different. Uh, last year, there was some untaxed income uh, that was reported. Well, under the new formula, uh, these particular untaxed incomes that used to have to be put onto the FASA is no longer counted. So, Gary, can you go over that a little bit on uh, what form of untaxed income that was reported in the past that uh, won't be required to put be put on the new FASA form? Yes, and I'll try to make this brief. In the past, if you had a contribution you made to your retirement account, you had to add that, add that contribution into your income on the FAFSA form. Okay. This year, they've changed it slightly. If you've made a contribution to a retirement account, such as a 401k or a 403b, that dollar amount does not have to be added back. Okay. Any other retirement accounts, such as a IRA or a SEP IRA, those have to be added back. So in the situation, if you look, I think the simple way to put it, and Al, you can maybe clarify this for me, is that if you look at your tax return and you have a deduction for a contribution to a retirement account, that deduction has to be added back onto your financial aid income to arrive to to your total financial aid income. The other things are is that in the past, if there was child support that the family received, that child support had to be added back onto the financial aid income as additional income. This year, it's not reported as additional income. It's just reported as an asset. And finally, and this is the most important one, I think, for, for grandparents is, if there is a 529 plan owned by a third party, and what I mean like by that is a member of the family that is not on the FAFSA form, such as a grandparent, they make a distribution from a 529 plan to pay for the student's first year of school, let's say. Well, when you file the FAFSA form the next year, you had to take that distribution and add it on to the student's income as an untaxed benefit. This year, that's no longer happening. If a third party pays from a 529 plan, that distribution is not added on to the income at all. So those are the three major ones. I want to just make it real quick, and I'll let you go on to the next thing. Al, anything you want to add on that? Mine is very short. Uh, From the standpoint of going into the details, I'll tell you, I love accountants because that's what they're good for. However, (laughs) let's do it simple. 
in the EFC, it was all earned income, whether it was taxed or not. So you made that clear. And the SAI, it is all taxable income. In other words, if it's on a tax return, it's on the SAI. If it was before on the tax return, you still had to do the earned income thing. You still had to add those those numbers back in. So it's a distinct difference in the formulas. Big difference. This is really the biggest difference is that the uh, SAI is off of whatever is on a tax return. If it's not on a tax return, uh, you know, schedule, whatever, or this or that, or 89, 69, whatever, 1040, that's counted. That's counted. If it's not on a tax return this year, it's not counted. Uh, pretty much the, about as simple as you can make it. Tax return or not tax return. That that brings up another point here. One of the other changes that is um, new on the FAFSA form, uh, there have been several changes on reportable assets, Al. Uh, could you go over a few of these changes on dealing with the uh, family's assets that has to be put onto the FAFSA or taken away or whatever? Well, there's one that I'm still up in the air about because I've heard two different things from the Department of Education, and that's the 529 plans. That's an asset for the parents. If uh, if the owner is the parent or if, and uh, we have two siblings, then you would count both those 529 plans on the EFC. I am not sure because the government has said it both ways, where it's not counted or it is counted. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not sure on that. I think we'll find out here very soon when we get into the actual FAFSA document. Uh, and uh, we uh, check it out. Uh, when you call the government, it's kind of funny. They'll kind of uh, posture themselves to not really answer the question. I'm, I'm talking about the Department of Education. Uh, as far as the assets are concerned, uh, the big change, the big, big, big change was the, unfortunately, it's a bad one, uh, is that if you have a business, in previous years, if you had a business and you had less than 100 employees and you were 51% owner, then the assets of that business were not counted. That allowance has been taken away. So now all businesses, small or large, medium, small, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, if you have now to determine what is the value of that business and that is an asset to be counted in the formula. A little bit upset about that one, but that's my personal opinion. Well, th th this is where uh, a lot of things, like I deal a lot with, with farmers. And even though- Same thing, yep. Yeah, Same thing. Mm -hmm. that if you, in the past, if you had a hundred employees or less, the value of your farm is not going to be included. So under the new formula here, from what I'm understanding that you're saying, is that farmer will the the farmer now will have to go ahead and assess the value of his farm and put that on minus the, the home. Minus it, the home. Yep. Minus the home. Yeah. Now getting into particular situations on um, you know who should complete the FASA how. Uh, in the past, the old rules indicated that the one that should complete the FAFSA is where the student live or what parent the student live with the most. And this is basically dealing with divorce situations. Now, under the new rules, which parent must complete the FAFSA? Now, I know the that's changed, that, so yeah, go ahead. It, has, it is the person who supports the child the most. Supports. I mean, I'm talking monetary now. Not where you live, but monetarily, who is supporting that child the most. However, a little bit of interpretation here, and I'm sure the accountants and depreciation and all those things will start to come into vogue here for my friend Gary. But the fact of the matter is, uh, 
if I if oh. my child is living with me, I'm gonna make this quick. If my child is living with me, I gotta count the mortgage payment, the water bill, the power bill, da 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 da. da. So uh, yada yada, as they say in the in the, in the TV. So I, I understand that this one is going to be left up for a little bit of interpretation by the colleges and the government. Uh, however, as it's stated right now, it is the parent who provides the most support. Now, with with that, uh, to maybe clarify it a little bit more, is that if you're a divorced parent and the kids live with mom and dad over here is basically paying child support and uh, a little extra money into uh, the upkeep of the student, if the father pays one dollar more than what mama is paying for the support of the kids, then what you're saying, dad is going to have to fill it out, regardless of where those kids live. Is that correct? That's correct. On the back, but push them back a little bit. Okay, so then mom can bring to bear how much she spent on the mortgage, power, water, clothes, food. And those are justifiable and arguable. I don't see how you can get away from that. So one could be, it's going to be interesting. We'll see how the colleges will react with it this year, because this is the first year for everything. I mean, all this stuff we're talking about, it's first year. And also dealing with your income taxes, does it make any difference uh, whenever it comes to the FAFSA, who is claiming the student as a dependent? No, it doesn't. You've got tax law and you've got financial aid law, and they're Amen. two different groups. Yes, uh, so are. it does not affect it. However, it seems like to me with what we've discussed here is the FASA is basically being run off of what is on your federal income tax returns. Amen. You're right. There's a reason. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Uh, you can't get an SAI calculation without the, using the DDX. We're getting into the weeds here, but the DDX is a program that allows you to admit uh, and allow the government to pull information from the IRS coffers and put it into the Department of Education's uh, uh, FAFSA. Um, and it, you're compelled by the fact that you can't even get a student aid index to give to the college unless you do that. So this is 100% of the people will have to do this, essentially. Uh, so that's why we go back to the tax returns. If it's on a tax return, it's counted. See how this is kind of flowing together? They're making it, they're trying to make it simple. And I, this part of it is, if you use, when you use DDX, and you get off of your tax return, the only people that are not going to get a calculation are the people that haven't filed a tax return. Oh, my Lord. Well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. It, it, it <laughs> seems like any parent that is uh, going to be completing this FAFSA form definitely needs to get within a good uh, accountant or CPA uh, to make sure that their um, uh, income taxes are completed out appropriately, as well as taking as many deductions as you possibly can to take and um, uh, reduce your adjusted gross income. So there's a pitch for you, Gary. Maybe I'll get you some clients. Who knows? Uh, I got but, enough uh, right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, let's close this out here. Um, and uh, these major changes that we just went over, uh, it's going to be very important for individual families to plan early in order to keep the college uh, costs down to a minimum and to help you and your student from running into massive debt, which uh, we here at the Prepare for College uh, organization 
try to help individuals to keep their debt down to a minimum. Now, if you want to learn more about addressing college affordability, uh, we suggest to visit our website at www.prepareforcollege.info. And um, we have over 100 years worth of experience between me and Gary and Al on uh, different subject matters, uh, e-books, uh, video presentations, and such like that, that could possibly help you uh, reduce your college cost, as well as keep your students' uh, debt down to a minimum. So um, I appreciate everybody listening. And uh, so uh, we'll be putting these podcasts on uh, very frequently, and you'll be notified when the next one is going to come up to do. So, uh, Gary, Al, I thank you for participating into this, and uh, we'll talk to everybody later. You all have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you.